Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. That's what we do around here. We just do not accept dying. We have to talk about parenting. Parenting is hard, is it not, Chuck? It's fucking hard. It's almost suicide causing how hard parenting is to be a good parent in this world. And my dad said you could put a kid out in the field and he'd raise himself. Yeah, look what that happened. Explains that explains so look much. What happened. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Well, I'm not, I'm not averse to that. I think there's a lot of over, I think there's a lot of over parenting going on, but I just want to, I just want to, uh, uh, I can't get too, because of the details in my personal life. I don't want to expose my wife as to why she's going through a hard time, but she's going through a hard time. And, and I said, you are exhibiting a, a avoidant personality disorder. Chuck knows what this oh. is, right? <laughs> so People love to be diagnosed. They do, yeah. especially by their spouses, right? Yes. By their spouses? Oh, they, <laughs> that doesn't oh. create an, uh, an argument oh, at all. The look on her face. And she just walked away. Awesome. Like, like, and I was like, see, see, see. <laughs> Oh, you gave it back with a bitch on top. No, no, but but we we get along good. So we were joking around. But but it is when you go through a crisis, everybody has different coping mechanisms, right? Some people who come and then we read, you know, the causation and the, the signs and symptoms of avoidant personality disorder, which half the society has it. Let's face it. You either avoid or confront like, you know, these these psychiatric diagnoses, they don't mean anything, but it gives you a hint as to what you're doing so you can kind of see it objectively, right? So, Wait, I said, so, so is there two choices there, avoid or confront? Well, there's there's people who who get angry at everyone around them once it's it's somebody sick in her life, right? And and she's very affecting her emotionally. So so some people will just get angry at everyone and lash out at everyone. She yeah, does the more, exact opposite. More, more ODD, more oppositional it, defiant disorder. Yeah. You see, so, De- you see, Devin used to do this thing where she would like, when we would talk about, I would talk about bills and finances. She would start screaming and yelling at me about something else. That's and that's it, what Chuck just said. That's what Chuck just oppositional, said. That's ODD, not odd. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I'm so, glad I didn't know how to diagnose that because yeah, you yeah. just got matter. But it's not, you're not diagnosing somebody, Chuck. It's just to bill is why we diagnose people. It's what I yeah. see it as is more, more information, more insight, gives you more kind of insight about yourself, right? So we were talking about it. So avoiding personality disorder, the main causes, now this is crazy. Genetics, it's genetically linked. How the fuck is that? So because it's, it's, we like to think that we are the stream of decisions, but <laughs> there's a lot more encoded. It's just locked in. Just it's like fucking encoded. When people think that they chose heroin over meth because they liked it better, no, their body responded better to that drug. We don't really choose a whole lot. It's crazy yeah. when you look at this. Our brains, the way they work, I, I think I like this. No, my brain chooses How that. How can it be genetically 
predisposition? How can that possibly the central, be? Well, we were, we, I looked into it. The central nervous system, there's a fight or flight mechanism in the amygdala of your brain. So what Chuck is talking about is true. So when you're in a confrontational or um, heightened emotional uh, situation, there's a fight or flight, right? So there, there you go. There's the lash out, right? Your ex, Mike, or, you know, withdraw avoid. Yeah, and yeah. avoid, right? Okay, but and what it, I'm asking is how can it be genetically linked? Because, like, isn't it sort of like how you're brought up and how your parents treat you when you are That's a, a contributor. That's a contributor. But the, here's the crazy thing. And this is where nature versus nurture and right. I'm sure Age I can old, just yeah. see I can just see Smitty and Wiley right now going talk about music, you fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but this but here's fun. the thing. But it's fun because because I don't I don't think people should be scared of diagnoses. It's not a diagnosis. The only reason why they have diagnoses in mental health is to bill is to bill insurance. That's the only reason. Yeah, no you put an F number on there. So yeah, no psychiatrist it. believes anybody is one thing. Everybody's an amalgamation of all these different moving pieces internally and externally, right? So the nature versus nurture part, here's my example. I have a sister who was raised worse, the worst, she got the worst of our family, right? Our parents were struggling financially when she was born. Uh, my dad and mom hated each other from the day they met each other. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom later became alcoholic, but she was a borderline personality. So my sister got the blunt of everything sick about these people that later on, once you, you can spread out and you have a ranch house, you can kind of hide in your room. But this was an intense <laughs> time. My, that my mom loved to tell the story. They lived in a district of LA called Queen Anne, right? And so I drove by Queen Anne district it's right at like uh like la brea and uh, and and venice boulevard right around there and i drove by past the house they grew up what well, was an apartment right at duplex and my uncle mel and his three kids lived in one two-bedroom on one side and my dad and mom and three sisters lived on the other side and they were two-bedroom apartments and they're tiny like mm -hmm. i looked in the window the living room is like the size of my office and he had fucking five people in there, two of which hated each other. <laughs> like, yeah. And the kids get yeah. the blunt of it, right? Like, so my oldest sister, Jane, like she, she just was, my mom didn't like her and my dad was miserable and like describing her childhood. It was awful. She was a wonderful person. She turned out great. Never was an alcoholic. Didn't have much personality problems. Got married, stayed married till the day that her husband died, had three kids. They're all good. So you can't say that environment dictates outcome. You cannot. No. And no, that's and what the whiny baby junkies in rehab don't seem to understand. Well, my mom, your mom, what? You're, you're, you rob banks because of your mom? Like, what? <laughs> what? Where is your decision making come into this? You know what I mean? Right. There's, there's, there's so many. There's, the, to have it simplified down to... When you want a dog of a certain temperament, you don't ask where it's from. You look at its parents, you know, right. that's, and that's, that's plain breeding. And when people go, oh, my dad was a mean son of a bitch and he used to beat me. That's why I'm like this. Well, it's also because he passed you the mean son of a bitch genes probably.
Yes. Maybe, that, maybe that, you got them. Maybe you didn't. Maybe your brother didn't. And that's well, why the he best was nice. example. The best you know? example of this is Gary Gilmore and Michael Gilmore, who I've talked about on our podcast before. Brothers experience the same horrible childhoods. <clears throat> one is the most gentle soul I've ever known, and one is a, a, a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was a serial killer. Yes. Oh, yeah. He's he, he's the one. I don't know if you remember. Shot Chuck. through the heart. Gary, he, he got And you're he got too convicted. blame. He, yeah, he got kicked. Yeah, it's the song is about him. He got convicted in uh, for a couple of the murders in Utah, where they still had a law in the books that said you could choose your execution. And one of the things was to be shot through the heart by a fire. He was spot. one of the last ones to get. I think he was the last one to get. I know. I know in Utah. I bet you that law is still on the books. <laughs> nobody just nobody wants to use it. I'm surprised they don't <laughs> still tar and feather there. Yeah. I, I'm sure. I'm sure Florida has a shot in the heart. Fucking well, uh, shot through uh, the heart. Right. Is a great, shot through the heart is a great book written by Michael Gilmore. Yeah, he actually went and went went to the execution. Oh God, in heaven! So what they do, Chuck? Just so you know, it's it's the most documented execution in the history of america really he 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 fought to, his brother fought to the supreme court saying it's inhumane and un, unjust and gary his brother was fighting to be executed by firing squad this is about it's the story of two brothers mm -hmm. and Crazy. and in the end the the supreme court upheld the back to the states that federalism idea so then they had to schedule the execution then nobody wanted to shoot the guns <laughs> right because they didn't because it was such a high profile thing they didn't want like i'm the guy who shot the guy like especially yeah because it's going to be this covered is, yeah this is in the late 70s early 80s when america was much more progressive and liberal let's face it so so nobody wanted to shoot the guns now i bet you they did line up to shoot the guns oh, even yeah. liberals <laughs> even, even yeah. democrats might line up to shoot the guns <laughs> if it could get them ahead politically i mean you know uh Kamala Harris might shoot the gun if she could. That's, oh, a, that's a joke. That's a joke on her capital. You know, she was a poor capital punishment for cop killing in California when she was attorney general. Anyway, so no one wants to shoot the gun. So they came up with this thing. They got five guys to all aim at the heart and no one will have to take the blame for shooting. Him. Yeah. One it's live round. And yep. No, four, no, I think that I oh really? Is that what it was? Live rounds and a blanks? I, I thought so. I thought he oh. was also the guy that didn't want to be blindfolded. I'm sure he didn't. He's he's a maniac. So, anyways, that's nature versus nurture, right? So, but but my thing is like I you could say I'm a narcissist. My psychiatrist says, Yeah, but you're getting better. He literally told me that. Like, because really? when you read, because when you read, yeah, imagine how bad I was. Well, you knew me. Yeah, so, I so, don't see the improvement. But. Okay, <laughs> that that oh. is Mike's jab because he uh, because I was an hour late to the podcast. I know you better than you know yourself, Mike Mart. I you knew you were gonna. I knew you were gonna attack me within the first thirty right. minutes. I, I was at the movies. I didn't know we were doing a podcast. Why do you gotta punish me like that? <laughs> because you should be attached to your phone like twenty four hours a day. And and here's the thing. We went to Elvis today, by the way, thumb, double thumbs up from me, thumbs sideways from Elvis, thumbs two thirds from Sydney, thumbs up from my wife. So take it for what it's worth. But Elvis just said it was really long. See, like it's two, it's two hours and 45 minutes. 
Jeez, and that's a long time for a That's kid. a long fucking time for a movie. So, but they got those recliner chairs. I told them, just go to sleep and wake up or be on your phone. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I want to see this movie. So, so, you know, we finally found a time, 3.45 today, that we could see it. It's three hours and two hours and 45 minutes, 345, 435, 36, 30. We got out. We went to Little Caesars and got pizza and came home. And my, then I looked at my phone. Mike's like, where are you? What the fuck's going on? I thought we were at 615. And now he's going to say, I haven't gotten better as a narcissist. Oh, my psychiatrist, yeah. Dr. Roland Kim says I have. So I'm going to take his word for it over Mike Martz. Yeah, I, see, I don't I know. Was, that's I was just <laughs> but that's a huge thing though to like once you, that's why we identify right we identify the behaviors and we can change them that's what CBT is, them, is all about so a you lot can't of change them i don't think if you can chemical change them imbalance, you can't change them you need medication but a lot of it is learned some of it is learned behavior and we can't allow unlearn, how about learn this? Behavior. Stop, 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 stop. Right there. Roland used to talk about learned behavior versus allowed behavior. That so you give yourself permission to act that way. And you have all this evidence to support it. Mm -hmm. I'm mentally ill. I'm a drug addict. I'm a loser. So then you permit yourself to behave that way. Rather than I, I it's learn. Learned is something like you can't unlearn. This is what Roland used to say. You can't unlearn English. You can't, you learned it. You can't unlearn it, but you can see yourself as having the power to not allow yourself to behave that way, to be more right. dignified. You can to learn make, another to language, make, so to, to speak, right? Yeah, so you, to learn, yeah, to learn to cope differently, do things differently. But I think when your back's against the wall, you revert back to real primary th things. And, and when you're scared, you know, of losing someone or you're scared of like uncertainty or you're, you know, that's why we have so much anxiety, so much neuroses. Nobody really could see clearly what COVID was because it be became politicized the moment the word was invented. Right. Wow. I mean, mm -hmm. so nobody's really seen COVID clearly. You know, my one of my before good friends go has it. Wait, before we go off on the uh, on the, on the COVID talk, I just want to reiterate, Bob, that I'm very lucky. I feel very lucky to have you as a oh, friend, stop. Oh, Bob. No, I no, love I, you so much. You don't Listen, ever have to say that. You, you have, have life experience that. and knowledge of recovery that's a, that amazes me constantly. You're passionate. Mm. You're honest. Oh, stop now! Now you're Come feeling on. guilty. I I'm not no. mad that you. I like it's part of the whole deal. We're talking, yeah. we're friends, we're talking. One of and my most, favorite most one of my favorite things about you, Bob, is that when you're when when once you start to help somebody, you're stuck with that person's stuck with you because you don't give up easy. I don't give up. <laughs> I don't stop. I was part of the Elvis thing that was so hard for me is I I was involved with the Presley family and it, 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 none of it went well. None of it. But I can't get into it. But with you know, if you it's not good, whatever. So fast forward to this, this, like, we don't have to claim these names that they're just ideas and suggestions and information about what's causing us difficulty in our lives, whether it's narcissism or borderline personality or, you know, avoidant personality or bipolar, bipolar literally means nothing. That's why it's so popular in America. It doesn't mean anything. So so what it used to be was called um, manic depression, which is the Jimi Hendrix obviously knew what that was about. That's more clearly what it is. You're, you get manic and you get depressed. 
bipolar is just too technical a term and it, and it's so vague. You'll have some psychiatrists say, oh, you need two manic episodes in a month to consider bipolar. And then just being a drug addict is considered bipolar in every yeah. rehab center yeah. in America. When and you get a real re- one, you know it though. Oh my because God. Because the mania can last for days and the depression can, can it's, it's unshakable. I mean, it's a, when you see it for real, it's like that one in 20 well, I'll tell or you, one I'll in 30. The ones that I've known, a couple of true friends of mine that were acquaintances of people that I knew that were bipolar, what you're describing, both killed themselves. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's so, not an easy thing. So to live it's an easy diagnosis to to throw around. I don't think it means anything. I think if you've been diagnosed bipolar, it doesn't mean anything. Huh, like PTSD but, you know. used to have a much heavier meaning too. Yeah. Right. So, so anyways, it's just information. And when you, when you get information about yourself, you can like hold yourself accountable, at least feel guilty. Like when I act like a narcissistic asshole, I, I recognize it and I, and I am embarrassed by it. I'm embarrassed by it. Right. What Mike is, what Mike is describing is confidence, which most people that have insecurities and, you know, dysregulated personalities will label anybody who's confident as narcissistic. Like Barack Obama got labeled narcissistic. I think he's just a really confident, smart guy. Yeah. You know, and he yeah. really, he really, he really, he struck a chord. I don't think it was as much because he was black. I think it was because he was so confident and black. Right, that these white people in the South just fucking hated him, and that (laughs) strike—it's true. And And unfortunately, Trump has that same power too over certain people. You know, he has confidence, and and I can tell you, and the white people in Brentwood hate him just as viscerally as the Southern people hated Obama. It's Mm -hmm. so identical. The 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 hatred for these people, like I say, the same thing about Trump all the time. It's just like he's he's a fucking he's a fucking used car salesman. That's all he is. It's all he ever has been. People want to put all this kind of stuff on him. He's just selling you soap or whatever the fuck. He's just a salesman, right? He's selling you whatever you he thinks you need. And he, he found he, a, he found a fan base. He, and he found and he, he found a he found a magical potion with this hatred in America. Mm-hmm. He is the well, best steer of it that I've ever seen. Um, and, and he doesn't mind playing with hatred, which most good people, no matter how much they hate the other side or want to win, then they don't want to play with hatred. They just no, don't want to play not, with it. I mean, some of the worst people I know, they just don't want to play with hatred. And Trump loves playing with hatred and division. He loves it, Right. And on, honestly, so do some of the people that are the most radical in the, you know, up in Portland. They want to play with hatred. They're just not able to manipulate like he can. Right? <laughs> yeah, you got to have you got to have a unified message. You have too many spokespeople's, you know, that are right. saying things just slightly differently. That's that's the problem. That's what that's what uh, Trump seemed to do is he, he managed to push everybody else out of the way and say, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. And- yeah. And there used to only be one machine. You know, people used to talk about, you know, well, like rage against the machine or, you know, fight the machine and everything. Now there's two machines. There's one, there's one pushing one way and one pushing the other way. And everybody's on them. I think, chosen I think the, no, I think the machine still runs the show and they love the distraction of the sideshow of these seemingly two. There are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. They are. 
the machine <laughs> runs. The, yeah, the machine that, they're that far apart. The, yeah, they're not. They're identical in their actions. I mean, it's just some opinion. Like, who cares about opinions? But but the machine that Roger Waters is describing in Welcome to the Machine, Pink Floyd, that's Netflix. That's that's Amazon. That's Walmart. Really? He's talking about Welcome to the Machine. Yeah, he's talking about the machine of capitalism. How He's not talking talk, about how come they've been talking about the machine for so many years? <laughs> because the machine's been them. there. The, the the machine, the the capitalist system that empowers the wealth, keeps the poor in check, um, and slowly shrinks the middle class. That's been <laughs> happening since the since the boom. You know, the yeah. best example. <laughs> my dad. My dad was born in nineteen eighteen. 1918, yeah. And he used to always say, Bobby, your mortgage or your rent should be one third of your income. Mm -hmm. Right. And you're talking about with my dad only working and my mom staying home being a stay at home mom. So one income could buy a home in Inglewood and a vacation home in Palm Springs. It could raise four kids and send them to college. It could provide whatever, you know, vacation to Hawaii. My sister went on. I didn't want to go. I still, I never wanted to go to Hawaii until I went with my kids. And then I still don't want to go back. But, um, but so you know, <laughs> you could live, you could live a solidly middle-class or upper middle-class life with one income and own two homes in America in the 1960s. You now need two incomes to rent a house that is half of your entire income in a month. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. that's this squeeze that the machine does to everybody. The banks, it's just a squeeze. The banks, the banks, the banks. Um, I'm behind in my, I'm behind in so many bills. It's incredible. So I got all these bill collectors calling me. I, I answer the phone. It's a computer robocall, right? I answer, I say, yes, push one. This is Robert Forrest. Whoever comes online, I say, fuck you. Fuck you, fuck you, <laughs> fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. They say, Who is this? Is this Robert Force? Yeah. They say, Yes, fuck you, fuck you, calling me a hundred <laughs> times a day. I owe you 68 fucking dollars this month. 68 dollars. Is that avoidance? No, no that is that's, very that's, aggressive. That's, that's very oppositional. Yeah. <laughs> He's but running I towards figure, the fight. <laughs> I figure they got something in their computer where they tip off each other. Yeah, don't call that number. Yeah, don't, that, that number's there. That guy's that's the guy's insane. No, they go, hey, call him. No, but He's call, funny. Have you, I mean, both of you have had that. The eight four four number. Yeah, they call. They call and they call. They call like six times a day. And I went online, which I hate, and looked at. It's my Home Depot card. Like that's the lowest priority on my debt. I owe. Kaiser Hospital for Sydney, Kaiser Hospital for Idris. I owe credit cards. I owe fucking med, the car payment. I owe every in all directions, right? And so Home Depot that I owe $430 to and I didn't make my $68 payment. Fuck them. <laughs> That's the machine, right? The machine isn't Trump or Biden. That's the machine. Yeah. Right. It's a built machine that's to destroy your soul. And I've never felt ashamed of Boeing $68 to Home Depot. They can double fuck me right now. Fuck you. <laughs> fuck He's Home Depot. Fingers, people. <laughs> fuck Home Depot. It's a double and finger. They're, they're, you know what I mean? 
It's like I bought too many hey, batteries. Hey, guess what I came up with, man? And tell me if you think this is a good idea. I recorded one of those um, things that say, I'm sorry. It goes, boo doo doo. I'm sorry, you have reached a number that is disconnected. <laughs> so when I see one of those robocalls things, I play that and they tell me, <laughs> really? Does yeah. it work? And they go, well, I don't know. It's, they so he's going away. Because I've been doing I've been doing this for 30 years. I want to tip some of the younger people off. You think in a modern day technology, you can just go to their thing and block caller. They just know that as soon as it blocks a call, they send it from another 844 number. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't think you're, you know, they've got, they must have a thousand eight, four, four numbers, right? Yeah. And, uh, Chuck, are you ever, have you, are you ever behind in your bills? Cause I'm way behind and I don't give a fuck. Not since I'm going to knock wood. Not since I got married. Oh, well, she takes, you, you, you know, she takes yeah. care of that stuff. I don't even know what my paychecks are. I, God, you're you know, lucky, man. When, when Did you not have, you don't have a credit card on your own before you got married? Uh, I couldn't open a bank account before we got married because, really? yeah, because I, well, I didn't exist really because from ages <laughs> 20 to 30. That's what she told me. I went into the bank and I said, I want to open a, a checking account or a bank account. And she goes, uh, she did my thing and she goes, well, the, the good news is you don't have bad credit. The bad news is you don't exist. And I go, oh, well, shit, that's good. Right. And she said, no, you can't be 30 something years old and not exist. <laughs> So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's funny, Chuck, because that's exactly what happened to me when I got sober. I didn't, I had never had a checking account before. And, and as far as all, all the other stuff, yeah, we had some credit cards when I was married the first time, but all that was, I, I don't even know what was happening. To, I was, yeah, they, I was very loaded. I understand. But so that you start to build it, you get the $500 credit that you have to put $500 in in order to use it. And then they allow everybody who's gotten sober. I just want to go, you just reminded me of one of the greatest moments in rock and roll history. John Vashanti got a check, but he didn't have an ID. And he brought Red Hot Chili Peppers records to the check cashing place. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. did it. Perfect. They did it. <laughs> they fucking did it. For 4%, of course they're going to do it. Oh right? uh, yeah, those they check catching places money. take four, three percent. Like it's crazy. I had to do something on Christmas Day where I got to. I, I wanted to take the kids to Disneyland, and and so and we got of all things last year we got Christmas bonuses at Oro, and I, I had the check, but the banks were all closed, right? And I had reserved the Disneyland hotel, maxed out my debit thing i had no money and i'm going to disneyland for two days with three kids right and i have this five thousand dollar check and i'm like i gotta go to a check cashing place and i went to this place and it was christmas eve day oh, and oh. and they charged me five percent they took five percent of that check just to cash it and i had to wait there an hour and a half really? it's so no fucking way. crazy yes so what's that? Because they had no bucks. They charged you two hundred and fifty bucks. Two fifty. Wow. Two fifty. And and uh Fuck and it's just crazy. It's crazy, right? This is the machine. Mike, you talked about the machine. The machine I'd have cashed it Trump. for you for two hundred. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I thought it because I hadn't been to one for like 20 years or something, and I thought it was one percent. And so, uh, you know, 50, 50 bucks, I'm cool with that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I think it, it was like, because I used, we used to get the AFDC checks. That's the money I had to pay back. 
because we told the government that I, I didn't live with her anymore. Actually, I was separated from my first wife and she started collecting and I moved back in and we kept collecting. Yeah. And so I had, I had to pay them back $11,000 when I got sober, but I used to take did those you get checks. Caught and go to, or you did that as a moral, as a moral thing. Oh no, because, because I wasn't living with her and she was collecting when she started collecting it. I get, I get that, what happened. Why that did goes you pay right. To, that goes right to my, my debt. It oh, went right to I my dad. Yeah, you had arrears, and you were in and, arrears and I said, to her. Right. I said, "Okay, well, let's just keep this coming because it's dope money." And it was it was food stamps <laughs> and dope money, and I was just like, "This is a cool deal." Until I got sober and had to pay it all back and with eleven percent interest. And that was twenty years ago, fifteen years ago, twenty years, twenty twenty four years ago, twenty four years ago. So imagine the con and grift and bullshit that's going on with all this money. With oh, all yeah. these, you know what I mean? It's just crazy. The, the, the people who've never been on the streets thinking, oh, we've got to help these people and give them money. Like, you know, I told the story. There was these addict kids that I, ha I had one of them. And then there was a group of three of them. And I was working at Temecula. And when, when and I, like Mike said, they stayed attached to me and I tried to help them for years. And um, they were uh filling out fake paperwork for friends who didn't know who the you know they like they were getting checks and rolling and then they were mm -hmm. gambling it online they just lose it they'd get like 1600 bucks in somebody else's name come to their bank account and then they'd lose it gambling online trying to double it mm -hmm. that's where your relief money went yeah. And see, and see, all the people say, "Oh no, that's only a small percentage. That's a majority of it." Trust me. Dude, if if they could get back the money that was fraudulently obtained, it would over be Corona, half. It would it would be it, okay. Let's let's guesstimate. They gave away five trillion dollars. Let's say it's twenty percent is grift and criminals like you and me were back in the day, right? Mm -hmm. Just twenty percent of the money given away was given away fraudulently or used not for the purpose of what the goodwill was, right? Say it's 20%. That's $1 trillion. Oh, yeah. And I, I can guarantee you 10 out of 10 that were doing it that I knew were, were it's all fraudulent. <laughs> I, I mean, and they were newly sober people, but and exactly I, what you were thing. saying. Here's the thing. And I get accused of being a Trump or I'll be a conservative or whatever. I just don't think that helps them. To give them money. I'll, you know, I always tell the story. Mike knew the guy. The guy that was inside L's band lived in the apartment across the street from the World Trade Center. Oh. And friend of Ann Dagnellis. Um, and I was playing a place called The Living Room in New York. And he came there. And we stood outside. And I said, what's going on? He goes, oh, it's the greatest thing ever happened, man. I, I got fifty thousand dollars in relocation money because of it i'm getting this covid relief and i get five thousand dollars a month and and you know and i said oh great that sounds great and he was strung out and was you know it was obvious that he was you know a friend of mine was strung out and he walked away and Ann said that's gonna kill him that money and it did yeah. right yeah, and 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 people the public doesn't want to know about that they don't want to know how many people died of drug overdoses with money given to them by the government in this covid relief package and i know of three and if i know three i don't even talk to people if i know three 
Imagine how many. Chuck, how many do you know? You know, that, that, that'd be hard to put a number on, but it's exactly what, what you were saying is that if you have any sense at all and you talk to anybody and you're a, a then why do you think they stay in hotels all the time? <laughs> you know what? These, these kids, where, where have you been working? Nowhere. Where have you been staying? Hotels. How are you staying in hotels? How are you staying in hotels and affording dope? Uh, you, all you need to do is talk to a few people and you can figure out how to go down and get more money than most people I know that work make, or at least you could during the midst of COVID. I know you could make $1,000 a week and people were killing it. Right. And, and so and, the, idea, the idea is how do you help this population? And if you look back to the 80s and 90s, all the people we know got sober, many of them were nudged by the judge or it just starts to close in on you not having a life see mm -hmm. when you give somebody three thousand dollars a month or this universal money or whatever it's called if you give them that they're going to stay trapped in that on that hamster wheel i don't care what you fucking say you give me three thousand dollars a month in 1996 i never get sober i promise you that i promise you that the the finances have to dry up friends need to get tired of you you're no longer welcome in certain areas. You start to feel more and more ashamed of yourself. You're sick all the time. You start to get in legal trouble. That's how you get sober. Not by being given $3,000 a month and say, hey, we love you and we want you to get better. You're like, okay, cool. I'll get better tomorrow. Okay, okay, when, does right. my money, when does my money hit? You know, you, that, you hit on something that's so vital. And that's those, those things, that anxiety, depression, Fear, guilt, shame in small amounts is so healthy for us. It causes us to change behaviors. It does. It's, well, it's, I, I always tell, and it's little things. Like there was lots of big things to get sober over, like losing your music career. Like, yeah, whatever. I'll get it back. Or what, you know, when nobody <laughs> wanted to book me, when I could, didn't have a band anymore, I couldn't, I didn't have a guitar, I didn't have a place to live. Like, yeah, it's going to, in my mind, like, I, yeah, as soon as I get, I'll get back on track and write some songs and everything will be okay. I thought that. So the biggest thing in my life that drugs took away, I was okay with, really, right? In my mind, it wasn't a consequence. It was just one of those things. The second one was my family and friends really, you know, kind of shying away from me and me not wanting to them to see me and all this kind of stuff. And I, I didn't see certain family members for like 11 years. Right. So family, so career family didn't matter to me. I'm still cool with it as long as I can do dope and smoke crack. I really am cool with it, but slowly, but surely my freedom taken away, uh, homelessness, uh, and then something happened that I, I meant to talk on the podcast when Keith was on. So Keith and, Keith and Lil Louie, who road managed the Chili Peppers, lived in a duplex on Occidental in Silver Lake. And about, I knew that I could go by there and get a little sarcasm and a little sympathy from them if I rotated like every, <laughs> like every three weeks. You couldn't go by there every week. Yeah. Sarcasm like, and sympathy every... is a great song title. <laughs> sarcasm and sympathy. That's, that's what they were. Mm. And so I would go by there about once every 20 days or something. I'd go to Orange County and stay with somebody. I'd stay with Big James in the Valley. I'd go over to this other guy, Jeff's house. I'd sleep in the car. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd wander around, but I was always good to go to Keith and, and Louie's for like two days, sleep on the couch, get a shower, get some food. Um, Louie would give me money because he felt like he owed me. I don't know why. 
because he was his first job in chill business was roadieing for the Thelonious Monster. So I'd say, Louie, just give me 20 bucks, just 20 bucks. And I'd have to beg for it for like four hours. And then finally he'd <laughs> give it to me. But it was, good. It was a good. It was a good two day landing spot, right? For about a year and a half, really. So I go by there. It's my regular routine. It's been about 20 days. I'm going by Keith and Louie's. And I remember I walked up to the window and you could see in the living room window and all the furniture was gone. Right. And I was like, holy God, they moved. I wonder where they moved to. And so I, this before cell phones, I went to a payphone down by Sunset Boulevard and I called a mutual friend of ours. I forget who it was. Might've been Chris Warren. Might've been, I forget who I called, but I called somebody and I said, Hey, Keith and Louie moved. Do you know, where did they move to? And the person got really weird on the phone. They're like, uh, I don't know. I say, you don't know where fucking Louis lives? Are you kidding me? Where did they move to? And he, and the person was really, I can't remember who it was. They were really nervous on the phone. Like, uh, I don't want to talk about it. And I was like, don't want to talk about it. What the fuck are you talking about? Where did Keith and Louis move to? And he finally blurted out, they don't want you to know where they live. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and think about this. Think about this. So they had to tell everyone in our circle of friends. They had to tell Anthony Ampley. They had to tell the, you know, Greg Hudson. They had to tell Brett Gerwitz. They had to tell everyone. Mike Mart. They had to tell everyone. Don't tell Bob where we live. That really, still to this day, hurts me. <laughs> That's how but. bad I was. That's how bad I was. My two, one, two of my closest friends in the world don't want me to know where they live. That had more impact on me than losing Thelonious Monster, to tell you the truth. I cried. I, I hung up. First, I was angry. Then I was sad. And then I really realized, like, if Keith and Louie have given up on me, like, Flea and Anthony have given up on me a long time ago. But Keith and Louie have given up on me? Like, that's, a, that's fucking brutal, right? Do you, that you think is that's not... That is not happening to addicts these days. Everybody's nice to them. Give them money. Give them a place to live. Make excuses for them. And they're dying on the government dying. Right? Yeah. Is, that a, is that an unfair statement? Yeah. I'm just, I'm just wondering if the giving up on you is the right way to phrase it. Because I have people Well, that's like that the way it felt. That's the way it felt. I, right. I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that's what they were doing. Uh, but that's the way it felt. They had had enough of Bobby Buckskin. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. They had, or, or, they had, or, had or, enough of the old Bobby Buckskin maneuvers, right? Yeah, I, watch, I watch people, I watch people doing that still. And it, 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 it's sad. It's not, I don't get mad. It's not like what a dick. I just go, that's, that's such a drag that they haven't gotten it. What the person who's who you have the to person kinda, loaded, you yeah. have to keep a distance from. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, one thing about one thing about me, which I'll say, and and I just had this circle that I could like. I knew people that Mike doesn't know. I knew our fans. I knew people. I knew people in Orange County. I knew. I have this wide swath of people that I could go boohoo to. Right. So that. That took years for all those people to catch on. Like, this guy's full of shit. You know what I mean? And by the way, from 93 to 96, when I get sober, Thelonious Monster's not active and not playing. So mm -hmm. now the reason why most people know me or like me doesn't exist anymore. But then the, <laughs> the, the, the kind of memory of it does. I think, you know, I think Mike Ness went through this in the 80s. 
like in the early 80s, because Social Distortion was such a beloved band, but they really didn't exist. Right, Mike? Like they kind of existed. Like he would play with anybody and say it's Social Distortion. Well, it was Chris Reese. Um, we know Dennis. the members' names, Dennis, but they they wouldn't show up. They, like people did, or they book gigs and nobody would show up, and Mike would show up. I know that for a fact. I was at one, and Mike was like, "Who could play drums?" Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And in the and it was at the Cathay de Grand, and who was in the room was like Robo and biscuits and like the best drummers in the world and like i'll go talk to them and they're like i got play 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 right songs i don't know <laughs> uh, i was like the recruiter to find the drummer. all of us look stupid not just him <laughs> <laughs> uh, then there was one gig in new york i think i, I talked about it like uh the only sponsor was supposed to go to the new music seminar. And then somehow the record company wouldn't pay for all of us to fly. I don't think they knew how many members were in it, Chuck. There were seven <laughs> members. Did, so did you said, know? <laughs> <laughs> well, whoever showed up for sure, but, <laughs> right. but they're saying that we're going to go. And then they realize, like, I think, I think Lindy put a budget in and they're like, we're not, how many people in this band? What the fuck is this? We're not paying that money. <laughs> Four guitar players. So what? <laughs> yeah. So the idea was, I think it was just me. I'll go and do my panel and whatever. And Flea and Anthony were going too. So we get there and we start smoking crack and then we need money and we don't have any money. And it was still listed at the cat club in New York City that Thelonious Monster was playing with the jazz butcher. I remember the show. And so, <laughs> so, uh, so me and Flea and Anthony, like Anthony really kind of drove it. Like we should play that gig. How much is the money? <laughs> like we should play that. <laughs> and for those that were there, I bet you there's a few people that listen to this podcast. were at that show. It was me and Anthony singing. Flea was on bass. I forget who drummed. John Lurie played saxophone. And we did the best we could, Chuck. And we got paid. <laughs> <laughs> we got paid. Oh, we I had would love, no, I would love this? sound of no that. No guitar player. Yeah. No guitar player in a band that has four guitars. So I remember, you know, uh, Flea was just telling, I think it was Tree was there too. I think Tree was there. And they were just playing the guitar parts on saxophone. and it was the art it was the art version of Thelonious yeah and and we got paid and we spent all that money that night on crack I don't know what it was 500 bucks 250 but 350 bucks I think man 350 bucks in 1985 can go quickly yeah but not not he was smoking crack are you kidding me Uh he was smoking crack in 1985 Uh Oh my God. That's like, so, uh, yeah, I, I want, I, we did have a drummer. I'm thinking who was the drummer? If anybody knows who the drummer was at the cat club, Thelonious monster show, I would love to know. Might've been GH. It was just people that were at the new music seminar and that we saw running in the street and we said, Hey, will you come to the cat club and play? <laughs> <laughs> you take uh, sticks, hit drum. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, just sadly, the jazz butcher, I was talking about him to Dave Becky a couple of weeks ago, and he told me he passed away, the jazz butcher. I didn't know. Oh, no. The butcher. No. The butcher. Loving Rockets is my friends. Loving Rockets is my friends. Wherever I go, Loving Rockets goes. Loving Rockets is my friends. 
the jazz butcher. If you never heard of him, he was. Have you ever heard of him, Chuck? The jazz butcher. I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. That was a funny little song. No, he's a, he, he's kind of like he was at the same time as Robin Hitchcock, and like Robin Hitchcock, like right. made it, and then. But it was pavement before pavement. The jazz butcher was pavement before pavement. Okay, right. And, and it, it was like fun at the beginning. These songs, these songs that are about crazy nothingness and mm -hmm. and rhymy, and he was funny and sardonic in English. Um, but if you can check out the Jazz Butcher, he he was great. And um, and and every time I see Robin Hitchcock, I think of the Jazz Butcher, the Butcher. Really, that's what he called him, the Butcher. What are you doing? And um. I think he made he made many albums. Mike, can you look it up or try, look it up? The Jazz Butcher made a lot of records. And, uh, so did Robin Hitchcock, but he kind of lost the yeah, Soft Boys for me. Robin Hitchcock was like that that I don't know REM like him. It's so weird, yeah. like these certain people that these how powerful artists were back then. They're not powerful anymore. No artist can make another artist by saying, "I like this artist." I don't think there's anybody. Maybe in the hip hop world they can, but in the rock world, it doesn't matter who Dave Grawl likes. It doesn't matter. Oh no, yeah. You no. know what I mean? It just doesn't matter who Rivers Cuomo, what you know, Rivers from Weezer likes this band. It used to matter so much if REM liked a band. It mattered so much. It mattered if Nirvana liked a band. That's when they were real influencers before they were called influencers. They were actually right. influencers. There were well, the arbiters their followers, of taste. Well, there's 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 um deep and wide. There's a, a depth of fanhood and width of fanhood, right? So so REM for sure is so under-respected. They really are. I don't know how they got lost in the history of modern music, but they have. They were so important for like 15 years. We're more important mm -hmm. than you too. I would say, like you two, got some sort of honorary degree of leadership. But REM were the ones we all looked to. Like, what do they think? What are they doing? What are they saying? Right? Nobody was caring what Bono said. Robert Hilbert cared what Bono said. <laughs> no one, no one I know cared what Bono said. You cared what Michael Stipe said, right? And so this is when I I realized. Bands used to have this widespread, this wide popularity and very deep, meaning yeah. really devoted to them. Mm -hmm. I don't see any bands that have that. I see widespread like BTS widespread, right? Or Foo Fighters widespread. I don't think it's very deep. Like, I don't think that it, like they're going to vote. You know, Bruce Springsteen had that wide and deep, right? If you, if I, I think probably half the Springsteen uh, uh, fans, you know, thought about what he said, whether to vote for Obama or or Clinton or whatever. I think they really he had an impact on the political consciousness of his fans. Now I don't think he does at all. None. I, I don't think. I don't think anybody. I don't think Nobody anybody does, does anymore. It, it, I think that the, the shallow, Beatles did. The, the Beatles the, did. Yeah. The, sha the it's shallowness. Not shallow. It's not oh. shallow, but like in a in a mean way or a negative way. It just doesn't liking a band does not mean I agree with them. I'll listen to them. I I'm interested in what they think. That that doesn't mean anything anymore. You know what I mean? That doesn't mean anything anymore. No, I that, I think celebrities become so shallow, and it's just so much of it is discounted. 
because like what you're saying i mean there's just a huge difference of people that like bands now or when i when i was talking to amy sitting there lay, sitting on the floor staring at an album cover listening to an album on headphones and immersing yourself it's a total escapism i don't know if there's that much escapism through music anymore well well or i i don't know what you would call it like the way i feel about bob dylan john lennon neil young lou reed the way i feel about them is i am modeling after them i want to be like them i want to share i want to know what they think because i want to think about those values and whether i want to integrate them and have them as my own right and i don't think there's any artist that affects people like that anymore i don't think there's any and that's weird is it because the society became so narcissistic they just don't care about modeling after people they don't really look up to people and respect people they just kind of like their music or whatever mm -hmm. i don't know it's very strange to me strange times right strange yeah. days indeed they are strange days indeed that was a john lennon line mm -hmm. oh peculiar mama no and he's talking about 1980 nobody <laughs> told me there'd be days like these like dude you should be alive now john lennon you'd be mm -hmm. losing your mind i don't think he could have handled it i don't think i, I, don't I, I think <laughs> i think lou reed would have lost it i think we would have we would have seen he would have appeared like a shrieking let's psycho th let's let's think about that i think yeah there's a possibility if john lennon had lived that he would just reject society and you would never hear from him He'd be a hermit somewhere because he would have gone look at this yeah shit. he had the money and he had the ability to disappear he didn't mind doing it when he was in the middle of it he could have very yeah, he did slept, that is he true john lennon, john lennon disappeared uh-oh coyotes and we got bunnies holy shit get out of here you motherfuckers get get oh my god <laughs> we got bunnies i got to get them inside are we done Coyotes we can be attacking. done we can be done <laughs> okay go, go, go <laughs> those fucking coyotes are headed to the oh my god well no 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 i gotta wait 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 i gotta go out here and make sure they don't come over the bunnies you motherfucking coyotes get the fuck out of here get <laughs> they're not coyotes aren't scared of people the way they used to you be. gotta throw throw something at them near them Do not you? at them they're just sad rabid dogs they're just hungry <laughs> we got bunnies now get the fuck out of here oh, why did you buy them. coyote chow and keep it outside no, I was supposed to bring him in before I did the podcast. I fucking <laughs> forgot. I forgot. They're just outside for a couple hours. Oh, my fucking God. What will happen to my life if those fucking coyotes get those bunnies? I got to go, you guys. Don't die, everybody. Don't, don't die. die. Don't, <laughs> die. Don't, okay. die. <laughs> don't die, bunnies. Oh don't die, rabbits. Good night. Right. Mike, Mark, good night. Oh. Yeah.